Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here as always with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest and the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, let's talk today about one of the most important passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. This is something that, uh, you know, even in my own evangelical upbringing, which tended to be against um, written prayers, uh, I had this particular prayer committed to heart, and that's, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Um and it, it just if every single Christian knows the Lord's Prayer, I think it's probably not uh, too much of a stretch to, to say that, um, or sometimes called the Our Father. Um, and, you know, the reason for that, right, is because this is actually the prayer that Jesus t- gave us to pray when he was asked, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and he comes out with with this prayer, you know, um, I'd, I'd also mention that actually it's, if, if you're an English speaker, then you almost certainly, the one, you know, is the, uh, is the, is the King James one, right. With the, uh, all, all, you know, the, that was the only time I, I ever heard any of the, like these and thousand thighs, um, they all tend to come out in the Lord's prayer, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but let's talk actually about what the role of this particular prayer, um, in the church's life and what are we what are we supposed to understand about it you know sometimes i would you know read through the prayer and think you know obviously this is a very specifically laid out prayer so why does each what does each line actually mean and refer to and how does it yeah how does it indeed teach us how to pray no this is um uh, all excellent questions because after all it wasn't just here's a prayer you could use it was teach us how to pray and so one of the things the church fathers teach us is that all prayer essentially is rooted in the Our Father. It's sort of a summary of prayer. Hmm. They looked upon it that way. Tertullian, he says, all the gospel reduced you know, into a prayer. Um, it was uh, so important. Early Christians prayed it three times a day. Remember, we know in the Bible the Jews prayed um, after the destruction of the temple, had the tradition of praying three times a day. Remember Daniel's praying three times a day. They use that against him in the book of Daniel to trap him. Yeah. So Christians took that up with the notion we'd use the Our Father three times a day. So we have several ancient references in the Fathers that this was the custom, is people prayed the Lord's Prayer in the morning, noon, and evening. And it's also what was handed on when you first became a Christian. Is it wasn't everybody didn't know this. One of the things when you first became a Christian and enrolled, right, to be to get baptized at Easter is the two things they would hand over to you saying is here's what we believe which is the apostles creed the baptismal creed and here's how we pray you'd first learn the our father so it was really important and by the way all the great church fathers uh the earliest church fathers left us commentaries church fathers and other important writers who aren't church fathers tertullian and origin both left uh, detailed commentaries on the lord's prayer cyprian of carthage you know uh cyril of jerusalem Gregory of Nyssa, Ambrose, you know, the one who converted Augustine, mm-hmm. Evagrius Ponticus, most people don't know him now, but he's a very historically important figure. We had a, we talked about him recently in another episode. John Chrysostom, you know, that great preacher of the Eastern Church, Augustine, 
You know, Augustine emphasized the importance of every authentic prayer being rooted in the Lord's Prayer, being the hmm. Lord's Prayer in other words. John Cassian, John uh, Peter Chrysologus, and, uh, or Chrysologus rather, uh, and Maximus the Confessor. And also, to this day, catechisms are basically made of three things. You know, when you look at a catechism, like the catechism of the Anglican Church, but you look at a Lutheran catechism, a Roman Catholic catechism, it says basically the Apostles' Creed. What do we believe? The Ten Commandments, how do we live? And the question of how do we pray? The Lord's Prayer. Got it. So it is, the, the, this is something that, you know, the all the way from the earliest times in the church, this was picked up on as a really essential thing to, to know, but also to understand in order to be a Christian. Yeah. It was okay. part of baptismal catechesis. You weren't baptized as a Christian until you knew the Lord's Prayer. Well, then let's talk about the, the structure of the prayer itself and, and, you know, how do we see it? How do we see it on the page? Well, we have the basic structure is there's an address. We, we, we speak directly to God. Then we have seven petitions, which are really neat. Remember the commandments with our Ten Commandments. We have, uh, we have four commandments, which are about our duties to God. And we have the remaining six, which is our, our duties to, uh, to, our, to our neighbors. You know, we have God and man. And we have a very similar approach in the Lord's Prayer. We have the first three petitions are focused on God. And the last four are focused on our own needs, you know, mm. in our relationship with others. So we have that God and man. Then we have, but see, this, we have a doxology, but the doxology, frankly, isn't part of the original prayer. You know, for, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Right. It appeared in a few manuscripts. But what really happens is there's no disagreement, really, that the original Lord's Prayer that we find in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures, in the best manuscripts, did not have this. So where did it come from? We see it in very early writings. The Didache, when it gives us the Lord's Prayer, has this manuscript, has this uh, doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This was a classic. A doxology is simply a classic end to a prayer, uh, typically. You know, how you finish a prayer. And this is the classic Jewish doxology. And why would you feel a need to end the Lord's Prayer? Add words. Why would you edit Jesus? Yeah. And the answer would be the last word in the Lord's Prayer in Greek is the word evil. And you just can't leave a prayer with something like evil. And so people felt really <laughs> uncomfortable with the last word of a prayer being evil. So you sort of, we really think that probably what happened is people's impractical matter didn't want to have the last word coming out of their mouth being evil. So they went, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory to sort yeah. of, you know, let's round, back. let's round this out. Let's give let's it the outro. round this yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the address that, you know, the, 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 our father um, the part that begins with with our Father, and that's often you know the how the prayer is titled, you know the the Our Father. Yeah, well, with the Our Father, the we have to look at both of those words separately because they always tell us something we could easily overlook. The Our Father, the emphasizes that He's not my Father alone. This is emphasizing that He's a Father we share. We share it with two. We share it with the Lord Jesus. You know, we, Jesus, we are brothers of the Lord Jesus. Remember, it says that we are the first of many brothers. God's desire, we be the first of many brothers. So we actually pray together with Jesus. This is, you know, we're joining Jesus's prayer to the Father. But also, the church fathers tell us we never change this prayer when we pray alone. We don't say, my Father in heaven. Hell, you know, we always say, our Father, even if we're praying mm -hmm. this alone. Yeah. Because we're reminding ourselves that this is also the prayer of the church. That we're praying it with all of our brothers and sisters. This is our common prayer. Yeah. It's the quintessential yeah. form of common prayer. 
So the first thing we're we're remembering is that our prayer is the prayer we share with Jesus with every other Christian. This is something we do together. My individual prayer is part of something much bigger. Hmm. The second thing is emphasis on the word Father. And there are two things here with Father. Is one, we're told we're given the Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. It's the confidence of that with a Father is someone we know that has our best interest at heart. You know, our, we know that our Father is out for us. We're the, you know, we are the Father's heir. He describes us as the heirs of God. You know, it says, you know, we are the Father's heir. That we, he sees our lives as bound up. You know, if you're not an employee in the ancient world when you're somebody's son. You, you won't, you're, you're going to keep on the business. Yeah. So there's a special relationship of care. The Father loves his son and cares for him. It's not like an employee. There's a different relationship. And it's even better than an earthly father because earthly fathers were told in Hebrews 12 when it talks about, hey, you know, God is better than an earthly father. Earthly fathers make mistakes. Sometimes right, they discipline right. us simply because they're in a bad mood or something rather than for our good. We can know that God's always, everything he does is with complete wisdom for our good. There can be no doubt about that. But something a modern people forget is in the ancient world, relationships always work two ways. Yeah. You know, a father had duties, but a son has duties to his father. Right. That's right. very real. So our father, we're reminding that he's not simply a, um, this is not someone who simply provides good things for us. It's somebody we have a special relationship, a duty towards in a beautiful way. It's a two-way relationship. So we can say, our, this is with Jesus. It's with all my fellow Christians. Father, he really cares for me. And better than any earthly father because he is no self-interest involved. It's complete, you know. And the same time, this is a real relationship. I'm saying, yes, just as I, I'm bound to you and to say, I have to respond to you the same way you respond to me. Mm-hmm. Then we say, which father who art in heaven? Now, the idea there in this address is this is not a place. We're talking, heaven certainly is a place, but I'm saying it's, it's not, what we're emphasizing here is that, that it's a way of being. You know, it's basically saying God is transcendent. God is bigger than us. He's more than human. He, he transcends us. He's imminent, but he's also transcendent. We never forget that. He's the heavenly father. He's not just a yeah. father. You know, if we have reverence for our earthly fathers, if you're a traditional society, believe me, you do. Yeah. But nothing like a, he's also God. Our father is also God. He's a transcendent. He's a father in heaven. He's the one who's beyond. He's, he's, in, he's, he's, uh, close, uh, he's tra- imminent and transcendent. It's reminding of his, his transcendence. The fatherhood reminds us of his imminence. You know, the in heaven reminds us he's both imminent and transcendent. So, you know, lest we get the idea that father sounds a little too familiar, we followed up with, with in uh, this is a father in heaven, the universal father. Yeah. Father. Yeah, he's, um, uh, it's, and again, in the ancient world, the word father had, for anybody who's been raised traditional, I was raised in a traditional uh, a culture. And when you are, believe me, the idea of talking back to my father, I never did it once in my life. And it wasn't because I was a goody-goody. Uh, the thought would never have crossed my mind. Boy, how times have changed. <laughs> the thought would never have crossed my mind. I mean, mm, yeah. you, there's a, you talk about fear of the Lord. It's, I knew my father loved me and thing, but there was a sense that that went with respect. There was no contradiction between profound respect. This yeah. is someone you would count on, but there's no question that he was your father. So yeah. the idea of transcendence and love were not put in opposition. Sure. sure. Love doesn't mean somebody's buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the end of the address, right? We've just addressed 
God the Father in heaven. So so that starts this this next part, right? So what's the what's this next what is this next part called? Well, we have seven petitions. Okay. And remember three of those are about God and four about us and our neighbors. Okay. So, so we start about, about God, four about us. Like the commandments. God. The first part of the first commandments, the first four commandments are about God and the last mm-hmm. six commandments are about us. Got it. So the first petition is hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Now, hallowed means that it should be made holy. Holy means something u- unique to God. And what we're saying, wait a second. Excuse me, how can we make God? God's name is holy. Yeah. Uh, again, name also means something much bigger in the, in, in the Bible. In the Hebrew word, the word name, we've talked about this in a different episode. We talk about the feast of the name of Jesus has four different meanings. A name means somebody's very essence, who they are fundamentally. That's why names have meaning. God name means I am. It defines yeah. who the person is. It also means uh, their, their, their presence. He says, God says of the temple, it's the place where I will make my name dwell. You know, where they abide, where they're present. It talks about somebody's authority, giving someone authority in the name of God. You know, like open up in the name of the law and his power. You know, it's by the name of Jesus you've been healed, we say in Acts of the Apostles. So it's talking about essence, presence, authority, and power. And of course, they are holy of themselves. But it means for us, what we're asking is we want there to be an acknowledgement of this holiness. We want people to treat this accordingly. Hmm. So how do hmm. we make sure holy things are, you know, like fine China is fine China, but that means it need to be treated like fine China. Okay. It is fine China, but you don't, that's why you don't toss it around like Corel. Yeah. You know, so, we want God's name to be treated in a way that's, uh, that's consistent with its holiness. So it's not just a descriptive phrase. It's saying, you know, like, let your name be regarded as holy. Holy be, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a desire. It's a subjunctive. Hallowed be thy name. You know, it's, right. a, it's a desire. So what do we do that is we want uh, we want God's name to be treated appropriately. We want people to recognize his that holiness. And we do that, first of all, making sure our lives are consistent with being holy. A theme in the Old Testament, it's taken in the New Testament as well, is you must be holy because I'm holy. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the thing. If you're the preacher's kid, yeah, you're expected to act in a way that might be different than some of your... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Some of your friends. You, know, you can't do that if you're the preacher's kid. So, right. you know, we have to have holiness. We want our lives to reflect holiness. Yeah. But also, we want to we honor, want to honor God's name in praise and public worship. Public, that's why we have worship, is we give honor to God's name. Mm-hmm. And we want to see others give honor to God's name. So the idea, we want God's rep, so to speak, to yeah. spread. Yeah. God's rep. Remember, like that. that's, a, that's a real th- theme in the Old Testament. It really is. Yeah. You know, the, the sake of, you know, how, what other nations are thinking. About what are God's people going to say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is a big theme. That's a You're big right. theme. God's rep. Okay. So, so this is kind of referring to, to that. It's, yeah. It's, you know, let your, let your reputation be great. Let your yes. name be holy. Okay. All right. So let's look at the second one. Thy kingdom come. Um, that's another just immortal phrase in the English language, especially right there. Kingdom, uh, kingdom come. come. Yes. But what does this mean? Well, it means two things. One thing we think of is, remember at the end of the book of Ruth, come Lord Jesus, you know, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, is we're asking for Christ's return. We're praying, we're, we're eager for Christ to return in glory. Hmm. But also yeah. it means we want an increase in the kingdom now. The kingdom is breaking into the world. Every time someone comes to the Lord Jesus, the kingdom gets bigger. Yeah. So we're praying that the kingdom will continue to expand. The church will grow. 
and also in our own lives. You know that the Christ lordship will take over more of our lives. You know, a lot of us, you know, we in the ancient world, we've talked about this in a different context, is paganism originally, the word pagan came from countryside. The people in the countryside were the last people to actually be converted to Christianity because mm-hmm. they were out of communication. And in our lives, very often, we're sort of like the ancient world where the cities are Christian and the countryside is still in paganism. Is we have certain yeah. parts of our lives that are thoroughly under the lordship of Jesus. But we have other parts of our lives, it's like he never passed. You know, yeah, some people yeah. go to church and they do these things, but when they go to work, you'd never guess. You know, mm-hmm. if, if being a Christian was a crime, you wouldn't just have no evidence for conviction. You wouldn't even have probable cause to stop them. <laughs> uh, you know, so in our lives, we might have areas of our lives that have never really heard the gospel. You know, so we're asking yeah. the we're asking for the King Christ to come back, but we're also asking for him to thoroughly get every aspect of our lives and to spread in the current world. You know, mm-hmm. the kingdom spreads as increases. That's a good way of thinking of it. You know, if if the presence of Christ doesn't, you know, spread throughout your own life and your own members, how can it be expected to spread out from you to the rest of the world? Yeah. It's often what we call besetting sins. But, you know, there are certain certain aspects of our lives. Sometimes we decided we have an end. We just, we just have a ceasefire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't realize the lordship of Jesus means we're, we're taking prisoners. Right. Because we can't right. have areas of our lives that are just under a ceasefire. Sure. I'm like that. So the third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the classic notion here is what do we desire? Jesus said, you know, my key theme in John's gospel is the will of God is my will. You know, your will be done. Jesus said, Mm -hmm. doing my father's will is like eating for me. He says that, you know, he talks about the woman, the Samaritan woman in chapter four of John. They said, where do you get food? He said, you don't get my food is to do the father's will. It's what Mm -hmm. gives me life. And we're praying that, you know, that's going to be the same thing for us, that we want his will uh, to be done on earth. You know, that we want our will to, you know, to be done in our lives. We want, we want our will to, to be blended with his, and we want his will to rule. Hmm. It's hmm. sort of a, it ties with the kingdom, the kingdom coming in. But very specifically, we want his will to be done. We desire his will to be our will. And, and we, we want to feel the way that Jesus felt about doing God's will. That Yeah. Yeah. And we want that will to, um, you know, to, uh, we want God's plan to be worked out in the world. We ex- we're, is, we're saying a yes to God's plan in our life. So uh, the fourth one, give us this day our daily bread. Well, it does mean personal well-being. God says we should ask for the things we need. Mm-hmm. But it also has spiritual sustenance. Remember, uh, Jesus quotes in Matthew 4, he quotes Deuteronomy, where it says, man doesn't live by bread alone. So what does he live by? He said the word of God. He said he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah. And also the very body of Christ we received in the Eucharist. Now, one thing that's interesting in the Greek when we say daily, this isn't the regular Greek word for daily. It really means bread of the morrow, of the day to come, mm-hmm. of the coming day. And so that can be used in a very eschatological sense. What is the bread of the life to come, of the coming day? And that's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. fathers would understand it that way too. So it means that uh, we're asking for spiritual sustenance. Not just we want you know, to be take our bodies to be taken care of, but spiritually what we want our daily, we want the bread we need, the word of God, 
and you know feeding with his own life yeah so the stuff we need for for life you know body and soul yes life in its deepest sense Mm -hmm. which doesn't eliminate it's 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 our bodily sense too we ask for god what we need but we realize we need more than the bread that puts off death another day for our bodies Mm-hmm. We need the bread. The man who eats of this bread will never die at all, as Jesus says in John. All right, so the fifth one is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, sadly, this is the curse that is built into the Our Father. God answers mm-hmm. our prayers, and we often say, Lord, what I want you to do is treat me exactly how I treat others, where for some from us that would be a curse. You know, do we actually forgive others? Jesus, this is so important unless we miss this. Jesus actually tells us in the Sermon on the Mount where he gives us the version we normally use as Christians, which is the Matthew version of the, mm-hmm. of, the, of the Lord's Prayer. This is the only verse he comments on. He says, remember, if you forgive other people their sins, your Father will forgive you your sins. If you don't, he won't. Yeah. And so it's a, a reminder we're saying, you know, uh, we're simply saying we have courage to say we, we know. We don't have to wonder whether God will forgive us. It's easy. If we're forgiving others, he says, I'll forgive you. You can't be more forgiving than I am. If you forgive others, I promise I will, I'll be more forgiving than you are. Conversely, if you don't forgive others, don't looking for forgiveness here. So mm-hmm. we're, we're asking him, oh Lord, forgive us. But um, it's implying that we really, and Jesus reminded us, I mean what I'm saying here. Yeah. If you don't forgive others, this was so important in the, in, the, um, in earlier times. Uh, it was classic when a priest went to somebody before they were dying is to say, have you forgiven everyone? Yeah. You yeah. cannot appear before the living God with un- unforgiveness it's a serious matter right a serious matter i think sometimes we we could talk separately on this i think we might have another context forgiveness is a choice not a feeling mm, it simply yeah. is we're not we're still going to no matter what people do even our enemies we pray for them since we still want god to redeem them we don't want them to be punished we want them to be redeemed god will right. do justice but we still want what's best for them. that's what forgiveness is it doesn't mean saying they haven't done something bad it doesn't mean making ourselves an ongoing victim but it does mean that we still fundamentally have a purpose of wanting what's best for them. Mm-hmm. That's forgiveness. Yeah. We want to get past it. We don't want bad things. We don't want the, you know, that glee when bad things happen to people. We always we right. want we want God to be glorified by redeeming a bad situation. Think of Stephen. Stephen, when the people were stoning him, stoning is a really painful way to go. From people yeah. who've experienced it, they say it's really particularly hard. And, no pun intended there. Um, but I just realized, (laughs) but it's very painful. Stephen had said, he cried out with a loud voice, father, do not hold them. Do not hold this against them. Hmm. Now he didn't Hmm. mother under his breast. Well, I guess I have to forgive you. I mean, he really wanted that from his heart. He hated the act, but he wanted them to be saved. And the church says that's why Paul was saved was Stephen's prayer. Yeah. Was answered. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the real love, the, the, the love for others, even, even as they um, come against you. Yeah. A love which is not, real love is not contingent on how people treat us. That's how God loves us. He loves us while we're still sinners. Right. It's not because we've cleaned up our act. He loves us for who we are. Yeah. Our sin never defines us. Right. right. God's image right. defines us. So does that mean that, uh, like, if you've, if you've have you forgiven someone if you're um you know if let's say because of something that happened between two people that you know you guys have have had a falling out and something can you forgive uh even if you don't have the opportunity to 
you know, become friends again or to... Or, oh, no, or, that's those are different issues. For example, okay, somebody cheats yeah. me in business. Um, I was, you know, in business, I'm saying, I'm, forgiveness says I still want what's best for them. But obviously, the nature of our relationship, not in a bitter sense, has changed. I can't, sadly, I can't because of what's happened. Mm-hmm. I can't trust you again. I mean, that's that's like somebody who's been a child molester. We can't trust with children again, you know. Right, we, right. We can't do that. Doesn't mean we, we don't think that, that we're not writing them off. We're not condemning them, but we're saying that obviously certain things change based on decisions we make. Yeah. But we still want what's best. Genuinely wants what's best for that person. We want them to yeah. be redeemed and 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 thrive, in in the right way. We want we want God is most glorified when sinners repent. It says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than a hundred. Or 99, you know, who have no need of repentance. So we have to have God's view of this. So right. it, it does. we don't ignore, we don't say that bad things aren't bad. Of course they're bad. But we're mm-hmm. simply saying, like God, I'm willing to move on since it will not change my desire, like God's desire, to say that sinners be saved. My, my earnest hope is that you will be saved. But it will change the nature of how we can relate to people. Not out of bitterness, sure. but simply saying when trust is lost, well, trust is, when trust is gone, trust is earned. It's, we don't, yeah. No one has a right to trust. Trust is earned. When trust mm-hmm. is betrayed, well, we just can't trust. We have to work on a different thing. I can still do business with you, but I can't do it with a handshake. Right. From now right. on, yeah. after you've cheated me in business, it means I can still do business with you, but we're going to have to sign contracts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the sixth one, and this one has been the subject of some uh, recent com- controversy. <laughs> it's lead us not into temptation. What What on earth does that mean? What I'm saying um, is basically... Le- I think the emphasis here is on avoiding the occasions of sin. Is a lot of times we're led, you know, so he's saying, you know, since we're looking upon our lives are being led by God, we're saying to God, please, you know, keep, preserve us from those situations, you know, the, that uh, would, would, be, uh, would be a threat to us, you know. Uh, for I think the best way to look upon this is the asking God to help us to avoid the occasions of sin. And the occasions of sin means a lot of us, how we get into our sins is we don't jump into them right away. We slip in. Yeah, yeah. The old joke in moral theology is it's like the guy who has a drinking problem who's, quote, going to go into the bar just to eat the pretzels. Right, yeah. Is we say, if I have a drinking problem, I just can't be hanging out in bars, even though per se, walking into a bar and having pretzels and a Coke is not a sin, but we're saying if I have a drinking problem, I can't go into the bar. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really in asking us to preserve us from situations that even though they might be innocent, or, you know, that, that would in fact put us in the position of temptation. They we're asking to be preserved from being put from those situations, otherwise innocent, that could put us into, that would put us into the situ, uh, into the situation of turning from God. Sure, sure. So it, se- it seems like a um, it seems to be said in a in a certain humility, right? Like, um, you know, don't basically saying like. You know, I'm not I'm not eager to be tested in these ways, right? Like, you know, that's a helpful thing. Help help me flee from this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why when Paul talks about it, he says, you know, flee temptation. You know that what we yeah. do with temptation. Yeah. Um, I once saw you know, in the South. You live in the South, uh, of course, in Texas. Mm-hmm. Is they have all these churches that have these very clever signs. I used to love them. Oh right. Yeah. And I love one church that had the sign out front. I'll never forget it. Many many years ago, that said when I was living in Tennessee, said when you flee sin, don't leave a forwarding address. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like that kind of thing. But yeah, I think what he's saying is basically we're recognizing her humility because we don't want to tempt God. You see, sometimes you know one thing we tell when I think of this when we train children about how do you avoid stranger danger, mm-hmm. we don't give them good arguments 
to use when people are trying to get them to go into their car. We say if somebody tries to get you, you run away. You start yeah. yelling and you run away. And so we're saying, like, don't lead us into temptation. We're not asking you, well, be with us. You know, no, no, as we, as we chat with the, stra- the friendly stranger, no. Is, you know, lead us not into temptation. You'll free us from getting in those situations. Get us out of those situations. Hmm. All right, so then the final one, but deliver us from evil. Well, evil can mean two things. It's the willful perversion of God's will is evil. The willful perversion of God's will. Or the enemy himself is the evil one. In Greek, this term is used for both. It could mean the ev- save us from you know the evil one, our enemy. Or save us from you know those things which are perversion of God's will. And so the idea is that we, uh, we ask for God to, um, you know, to basically snatch us out of the hand of the evil one. This is beautiful because, you know, I think that one of our problems as Christians sometimes is we forget that we're, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Sometimes yeah. we look upon fighting temptation like it's a personal project, like, you know, self-help. Yeah. No, we're fighting heavenly powers. We need God to snatch us from evil. So we're saying, you know, Lord, I still need you. You're going to have to the one. You know, I'm going to do everything while I'm going to avoid temptation things, but I still need you as the one yeah. to snatch me from, from evil, from the evil sure. one, from the, from, the, from, the, from the jaws of the evil one. Yeah. No yeah. shame in needing God. Only fools think they don't need God. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so then, then finally, in the, the, let's talk briefly about the, the doxology. You said, you know, it's, it's, not in, it's, it's in maybe just a couple of variations, but it's not in the, you know, the mainstream manuscripts here, but it's still very, very old. Very, early. very old. As a matter of fact, it's even been restored, but as a separate prayer, you know, with a break in the Catholic Church, who'd never used it. We at the Reformation, we started looking at manuscripts. We unfortunately, we looked at the uh, Greek text based on the work of Erasmus, and that's not one of the best test texts. I see. Yeah. And so based on that, he had in one of the readings that has, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Since we were trying to go back to be accurate to the Bible, that's where Protestant churches began putting that in. It had not been in. It had never been used that way in, in, in the church before. It was there. Oh, look what we discovered that's been missed. Hmm. That's why none, hmm. of the, none of the fathers talk about it. When they have give these yeah. commentaries, no one mentions this because it's not part of the Our Father. Okay. We were trying yeah. to restore what we thought had been lost. It turns out that it should have been lost because that's not part of the original manuscript. It was never okay. seen you yeah. know, that way. But we keep it. It's a beautiful thing. Sure. And we're proud sure. of that part of the tradition. The Catholic Church, now when they say it at the Roman Catholic you know, Eucharistic service, is they'll say after the Our Father as a separate thing, they will have, but they separate from the Our Father. Then they'll have uh-huh. like one other prayer. Then they'll say, okay, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it can kind of, uh, otherwise you can get the impression that it just kind of all runs together. And um, so, yeah. And indeed, as Anglicans, we have one tradition that we kept that even for us, we normally use it. We don't, this is called the embolism. It's the technical term that's used to describe this embolism in the Our Father is not found in Compline. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So we just we leave it off at Evil. at certain points just to to remind us, which that, is actually yeah. a reminder of the old way. That's the way until the 16th century, everybody said it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, thanks, Father Stephen. Anything else you'd uh, you'd you'd have to uh, conclude uh, the the uh, Lord's Prayer? For oh us? yeah. I mean, Augustine. I think he's so wise to say, if I'm pr- how do I know I'm praying as I should? Are my petitions really reflecting? The, you know, I, am I am I covering these? I, you said we can use different words to say the same thing. To you know, but if I have a petition that really isn't in one of these, what am I really doing? Am I really is my prayer really in line with the will of God? Mm-hmm. That's a really yeah. good test to use. 
and I think using the three, you know, many of us have very, very busy lives uh, that we, um, in a sense, don't have the luxury just at will. But the Our Father is so doable. I mean, we can really pray it. Uh, it doesn't take 15, 20 minutes to pray the Our Father. We can right. devoutly pray it in a few yeah. minutes. The idea of having fixed times where we just stop and say, I, there's no way I'm so busy I can't take, you know, two minutes to literally pray the Our Father. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Is really a beautiful way to help build in our day those standard times. Like in, in the Catholic world, where I grew up, the bells used to ring three times a day for the Angelus. Yeah. Time, you know, and so I think, you know, as, as uh, Reformed Catholics, I think the idea of restoring the ancient practice of the three times, you know, daily Our Father. By the way, that's retained in the liturgy. We have the Our Father at the Eucharist at morning prayer and evening prayer, you know. Mm. Uh, and also one more thing, a Teresa of Avila said, you know, she said, you know, we know the prayer so well. It's extremely powerful if we really say it slowly and carefully and really focus on it. You know, the dangers mm. we know it so well. And that's my personal experience. I love the Lord's Prayer. You know, and I really, really pray it. You know, I, it, not just going through. I mean, really, you know, sit and pray that prayer. It can be very, uh, amazingly powerful. Yeah. When we don't just go through it the regular rhythm. Our Father who art, you know, it's really our Father, you know, who art in heaven. You know, when we really go through and think about it, it can be an amazingly powerful way to pray as we should pray, to ask God for the right things. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>